On this episode of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast, I'm speaking with a man who has spent over 30 years training civilian, military, and law enforcement personnel, Mr. Dave Young. Let's jump into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, we're back at it here on the Tactical Breakdown podcast hosted by the ILET Network. Today's episode is another segment that was brought to you from my time in St. Louis at the ILETA conference. If you're not familiar with ILETA, it is the International Law Enforcement Educators and Trainers Association, a group that I've been a part of since 2011, one of our partners here at the ILET Network, and is an amazing resource for law enforcement instructors. So if you haven't been able to check out ILETA, I recommend you do that. So this conversation I had with Dave Young. Now, if you don't know who Dave is and you haven't been around the law enforcement training game, you probably know who he is. And if not, Dave has spent over 30 years in law enforcement and military training. He's a master level instructor trainer. He has been around the world. He knows what he's talking about. And today we talk about some very interesting concept in defensive tactics. And I think he's going to take it down a rabbit hole that you probably didn't expect. So I'm excited to share this conversation that we had in St. Louis. And this is one of many conversations and interviews that I conducted there. So stay tuned. If you haven't already subscribed or followed the Tactical Breakdown podcast, Make sure to do so. Click the subscribe or follow button on your podcast player, wherever you're listening to this, so that you can get up-to-date access when we release these new episodes week over week. You're not just going to get these interviews that I conduct live at events. We're also going to be releasing short-form snippets of training information from all of the amazing training and instructors that we conduct over the year. We're also going to still have those long-form interviews that you're used to here on the Tactical Breakdown Podcast, and those are going to roll out sporadically month to month. So without any further ado, I want to jump into this conversation I had with Dave Young at Ailita. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for being here. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Adam Kanakin here with Ailet Network, sitting at the 2021 Ailita Conference in St. Louis. With me today, Dave Young. Dave, thanks for joining me, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, Adam. It's oh. an exciting event. I'm, I'm so excited. We've been sitting here before we hit record, really got kind of into the weeds, and you were sharing what you were teaching this week. Um, and and just your pa- I'm excited to share your passion on this topic with everyone. So, what was the course that you're instructing here at Alita this week? You well, know, if you just take the topic for what it says literally, how to escape from grips and grabs. Most people put a perception in their mind that we're going to go into a gym, we're going to stand on a mat, we're going to say, okay, when the person grabs you, here are some of your options. And, you know, in the 70s and 80s, that's the way training was done. It was very compartmentalized. When you did uh, defensive tactics, you put on boxing gear. In the 90s, now you have different martial arts. Now you're in the 21st century, and people are just now identifying organizations across the country that before you teach an officer to touch, you got to teach them how to talk. So what we did was in that first 45-minute block is we taught them how to manage distance and control positioning, how to stand, hand placement. Hand placement as a police officer sends a huge message to a person you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Take the simple uh, contact of someone sitting in a restaurant and they paid their tab, but they have to leave. Very non-threatening, they're not yelling and screaming. You walk up and you say, 
Hello, my name is Dave Young with the so-and-so police department. The reason why I'm here is I, I saw that you were, um, you know, not leaving. You put your hand on your gun, even though you're very calm. That is a nonverbal indicator that's going to make that go into escalation very quickly. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we send the wrong message, meaning to send and say this. We're so focused on the words. We're not looking at the message that we're giving them. And this is a very important concept because uh, we always talk about when a person's in crisis, and let, let's, let me just put it to you this way. When a police officer talks to anybody, they go to a certain level of crisis that they don't feel when they talk to a friend and a little bit less crisis when they talk to someone they don't know. But when a police officer comes, they're enforcing some law that they forgot or some rule they need to really fix. So I like to do this exercise with everybody that's watching. Yeah. I like to show you. So what I like you to do is take your index finger and go like this. And I want you to take your index finger and place it right here on your chin. And if you're doing this with us, you put it on your cheek, not your chin, which is where I said. So we are more visually educated in times of crisis and stress than auditorily stimulated. So the other example we gave is if a person's yelling at you. Well, quite frankly, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and sometimes the 90s, they had the ask, tell, make policy. So if you yelled at me, and as a police officer, I wasn't going to take that, I yelled back. And we seem to think that the louder we talk, the more authority we were going to be enforcing. And we try to change our strategy at Vistalar to, to give them an understanding that you create a supportive atmosphere, a defensive atmosphere, and your words need to should create a supportive atmosphere because we want to drive on every contact to get cooperation first. You get cooperation, it's less report writing. You get cooperation, it's less use of force issues. But more importantly, when you get cooperation at every contact, you deposit a safety contact that the next time you're in trouble and this person looks over their shoulder and sees that it's you, you got to go back and ask yourself on that last contact you had, did you inspire them to call for help? Did you inspire them to maybe sacrifice their own safety? As you've seen across the country where people come and render aid and help the officer, or did you inspire them to turn a blind eye and pull the video out and just record your demise? So every contact we make, that social interaction, is something we need to take a little bit more serious. So when we started out the class, we talked about proxemics. How do you manage distance positioning? You know, uh, one of our trainers, Joe Lashley, always says, most people, especially law enforcement, when they come into settings, we talk too loud, say too much, stand too close, talk too fast, and we touch too soon. And sometimes that can really set the things off. So for this class, it was about how to get out of grips and grabs, but we started out in the forefront is how to have non-escalation strategies so it doesn't go that way. And if we can manage distance and positioning and hand placement is all part of that. Um, if you look at hand placement, how many times have you talked to someone that you met on a casual contact and you see one person fold their arms? Mm -hmm. Now, in a conference setting, it's pretty casual. But if someone's telling you something of vital importance, you're not looking professional. You're not demonstrating concern to them. And you're not really doing anything to keep them safe or you safe. So if they punch you, the only block you have like this is closing your eyes. And I've been studying martial arts for 40 years. That's not a block. But what about people that officers that take their hands and cover their vests when they talk? Mm -hmm. Are they looking professional, demonstrating concern, keeping everyone safe? Not at all. So we encourage you to teach you how to put your hands in a one-hand stop sign, in a two-hand stop sign. How not to yell and purposely teach you to lower your voice when someone's saying, get out of my face, I can't believe this. There's a time and a place for issuing commands loud and clear. But when someone's yelling at us, you might want to try to get that cooperation. I really see you're upset. If you just give me a moment, I really want to help you. I can't tell you how many times actual applications during bike week in Myrtle Beach that I have a person almost literally tip over a six-foot pool table yelling and screaming. They're going to beat everybody up. And I come and say, hey, I really see you're upset. 
man, you're mad. I can't believe you got arms that big. They match my thighs. I mean, look at, and I talk low to them. What are you whispering about? He's not cussing and screaming. Because in order to have communication, you have to have a sender and a receiver. And we want it to be a, a dialogue, not an interrogation. So at that initial contact, we had someone that they were talking to was using a universal greeting, one-hand stop sign, two-hand stop sign, the thinker stance. When someone's talking long and hard, instead of putting your hands on your hips or touching your gear because you're nervous, putting your hands in this position so we can keep them up to protect. And this is the biggest thing. Look at yourself on video or look at yourself on a picture and ask yourself these three questions. Am I looking professional? If you are, great. Am I demonstrating concern? Because think about this. As this escalates in a physical contact, are you going to be really, really trying to hurt me if I'm demonstrating concern, trying to be fair? I'd much rather a person resist arrest because they're trying not to go to jail and trying to make that arrest become an assault where they want to hurt and harm me. Because then that escalates the contact. So the first part of the class kind of threw him off guard is, you know, we're not doing grips and grabs. Some of the guys roll their sleeves back down and uh, they understood that, wow, I never thought about asking a person to leave. And when I did, I would always point. So now we talk about guiding hands and how do we manage that contact visually? Now, we talk about keeping everyone safe. We understand that if I'm walking you out of a place, my hands up keep me safe. My hands up, you get to see my hands, it keeps you safe, but it lets everybody know that I'm trying to communicate a message to you that if someone's your friend and they see me do this, they're more than likely gonna be an advocate for me and come on over and talk with you and that might bring it down. So I wanna use a variety of environment settings and situations to be in my favor. Well, then you had to answer the question, well, what if you couldn't manage distance, Dave, and control positioning? Well, let's talk about how contacts start. I ask every officer to stand up and I say, okay, I'm your target on the range. They don't have any guns on them. So I want you to stand like you're going to qualify in the range. So they all stand in that wider stance, feet shoulder width, wider apart, looking straight ahead, hands up here. And I said, now how many gunfights start like that? How many times does someone go to punch you and they start like that? I says, how many times is someone yelling and screaming at you and you start like that? I said, most firefights are when you're giving commands, direction. Your, your hands are up here. So I asked them to maybe think about starting proximics when they're on the range and then drawing and then verbalizing. Because see, if we just physically do things and we don't talk, we're not communicating in the full totality of how we're gonna experience. Some people get auditorial exclusion. So they don't hear what the officer's saying. So if I'm doing this, rather than just saying, can I get you to stop please? That's two ways of communicating that hopefully one of those two is gonna sink in. So we have nonverbal cues that we use that's universal. Stop, can I get you to please stop right there? Your facial expression is a big communicator. You know, you come out of the academy, it's a big decision to be a police officer. It's a very prideful profession, and by rightly so, we're responsible for the safety of everyone we come into contact with, as well as ourselves, and everyone who's actually out there. It's a big responsibility. And if we have a contact at nine o'clock, and we have a contact at 11, sometimes these contacts get worse. So if we go in with a nice frame of mind trying to get cooperation and words don't work, then we start going into our compliance where we have a persuasion sequence. Well, now they were taught, well, is there anything I can say at this time to get you to do A, B, and C? I like to think so. And some guys said, well, are we touching yet? No, we're not touching yet. Because right now we're just having managing that contact. Mm -hmm. But now when a person grabs you, how many of you, I usually like to ask questions because when you come to a police conference like this, you have such a high level of experience from people that come to your class. First of all, as an instructor at a police conference, it's an honor to attend because they all in right could be up there teaching your topic. I asked them, listen, how many of you have been grabbed 
and seen someone pulled to a place they don't want to go? Go raise their hand. How many of you have been grabbed and maybe assaulted with the other hand? A couple raise their hand. But how many of you have been grabbed and just not able to leave? couple of So being grabbed is a real important part of physical safety. Now, the second question was like a catch-22. Um, how many of you have been grabbed and you escaped, but you stayed right here in front of them? And all of them raised their hand. I said, well, I'm going to show you that after you escape, you want to be off-shoulder behind them because that is the best place to re-engage the person. That's the best place to disengage from the person. And that's a, be- a best place if you have someone standing behind you when you're involved in multiple attacks. Then I also said, what if I taught you one technique that can be applicable for a variety of situations, regardless of how they grabbed you? Because how many of you have been through this class? Okay, we're gonna do escape from grips and grabs. Grab my wrist. Oh, you grabbed me the wrong way. Grab me the other way. And you know, if we, if we went through <laughs> training it. with a remote, that right. we could say, okay, this is how you're gonna grab me, this is what you're gonna say, then training should mirror what we're gonna get in the street. Because the definition of training is to prepare them for what we know is about to happen, right? So I put this in a different context. So we talked about what to do before. Now we talked about how you're gonna be standing when they grab you. You may have a wrist grab when you're doing a field size sobriety test. You may have a wrist grab when you're trying to escort them out of the area. You may have a wrist grab when you try that arm bar for stabilization and they turn and they grab you. So we all agree now that getting away is important. I want you to agree that getting behind them when you escape is even more important. So when I showed them that, it was like showing fire to cavemen. I heard, wow. But that was the first time because in police training, it's very, very stagnated. For a lot of the depart- few departments do a really good job, mm-hmm. but most of the parts get away from the uh, grip, back up a couple of steps, give verbal commands, and escalate to another force option. While that is necessary, it should be get to a safe place to escape. Then reevaluate, provide verbal direction. Go to hands, escalate to OC, pepper spray, baton, taser, whatever the force option is. But why not put the officers in the, in the best, safest position possible, which is off shoulder, instead of in front of them? Because when you're in front of them, you become an active threat. They could be kicking you, punching you, and still attacking you. So I want to take this drill that we did and change the concept where now they don't, there's a pause there that I can use that pause in combat to my advantage, being in a different place. So then um, the first 20 minutes, we taught him a technique called the apex. Looks like this. And then I showed him how to do left hand, right hand, both hands, cross grab. Then we had him up against the wall. And we said that every technique you teach should be taught in very few steps. And what if I taught you a technique? If we agree with this statement, what's the best technique? What's the best technique is the one you remember when your life depends on it the most. So if you have a lot of complicated moves that needs more practice, well, the number one issue in departments is training. I need officers that are listening to this podcast, think about their training as an investment. And if professional football players, which is a pretty rough sport, if they only did a jersey practice of no touch twice a week, you probably have deaths on Sunday's game. And if the only training you're doing back at your organization is what they give you an in-service, and you're not practicing the skills that they train you in, We have a slogan that says, training without practice is a fool's bet. And they're rolling dice on something they can't control the outcome. So they have to go back and practice. Well, if something's not easy to remember, they can't practice it. Mm -hmm. But the easiest technique in the world still needs to be practiced. Still, you need to practice it in here. It needs to practice coming out of here. And it needs to practice in here. So we taught about left hand, right hand, front and rear. And one guy said, well, Dave, uh, we're still doing the same thing. Well, that's the point. Teach them one technique. What if they grab their left shoulder, their right shoulder, both shoulders? 
We taught the apex, the same technique. I said, usually by the second hour, in the beginning of the class, some of you are gonna get bored. Well, how come we're not doing anything different? Well, if you look at any, any elite unit in any group, it's just perfecting the basics. They do that very well. And you wanna practice until you can't get it wrong. And that means you gotta spend some time at home practicing. Instead of laying on the couch, instead of having a barbecue, maybe start the barbecue 30 minutes later. Mm-hmm. But without practice, we're never gonna be able to perform at the level of intensity because our lives depend on our performance. Yeah. And if I have a partner, so does theirs. So then we went to chokes. Where they choke you with the right hand, the left hand, or both hands? I said, what are we gonna do then? By then they caught on. We're gonna do the apex. Absolutely. Now, what if we're not to the ground and they grab our shoulders? We're gonna do the apex. So first two and a half hours, we did everything standing up. In the last hour, we went on the ground. And they could see that it was the same technique that was applicable in a variety of settings. And when they left, I had them teach it back to each other. It's an instructor police conference. So I, I want you to use a different training format. I want you to show them the technique without talking. Then I want you to stop and explain what they just saw. And then I want you to give them an example of how this technique would be formed in the context. You're doing a field size sobriety test, you're doing a, a, a blanket arm, you escort and they turn and grab you, but tell the person you're training how this technique is gonna be applied. And if it answers that one question at the end of the day, which asks, what was your biggest takeaway? Well, it was the same technique. It was easy to remember. It, it worked on the ground and standing up. Because if we had four hours every month with every officer for physical skills that combine verbalization with physical alternatives, everything I just said doesn't mean, matter anything. Because right now, most departments get four hours, eight hours a year. And if you compartmentalize your training, they get farther and farther away from what's gonna be applicable in the street. And that's what I try to put together during that block. One thing you touched on, and it was something you brought up earlier on, was the term non-escalation. Oh, absolutely. What you a fantastic, I, I, as soon as you said that, it's just been pinging off in my head. The entire time. Well, you know, um, my mentor and longtime friend, Gary Klugowitz, who's a co-founder of Vistalar, um, was teaching physical skills with verbal options in the 80s, right? And they had different titles as it went throughout the year. But one of the things I learned when I first went to his class, I was representing the Marine Corps. I developed uh, the Defensive Tactics Development Program for the Marine Corps. And everything that we did with touching was talking. But we did it at such a high-level command, you're actually, when you're providing direction, that's not conversation, because the conversation is I ask, you answer. You ask, I answer. It's a dialogue, right? And what I found was that most people, when they do physical skills, they don't speak. And when you don't communicate, when you touch someone, whether you're stabilizing them or you're defending them, it becomes chaos in their mind. But if I can provide verbal direction with a soft touch, if I'm using physical skills to disengage from a threat, I need a sound alert, create alarm. I need a sound alert to make sure everybody in the area can hear my voice, to let them know there's an incident. I need to create alarm by using word choice. If I got a partner outside and I draw my weapon and say, he's got a gun, he knows he's coming into an area with a firearm. But if I just say, hey, get on the ground, get on the ground, he might come in with a different level of force that might either escalate the situation or it might lower the escalation. So word choice is very important. So when we were having the class, you have to be able to speak. So your words are just as much a stabilization. If you think of the six levels of stabilization we have, we have presence, how they view us. Verbalization, how they hear us. If a person is standing and not complying, we have to go into hands-on, we have low-level stabilization. Not everyone we touch, you go to the ground. 
even though most cases that's usually the result. Mm -hmm. If we have high level stabilization, we have a higher level of resistance. We go to touch and stabilize, they resist a little bit more, we stabilize using a high level stabilization. But sometimes during that contact, in this case for my class, they're gonna assault you. And when they assault you, we have to be able to teach officers to maintain that level of safety by managing distance, controlling position, using their words. Create that distance and reassess the situation. And in this class, this is the first time any of them have ever been taught to escape from a grip and grab and body hold and end up behind the person so they don't stay in active threat. And that was real important to, to control what they see uh, uh, visually and what they hear auditorily. Because if I'm right behind you, I can talk very calmly in the direction I need to give you. But when I'm back away from you, we have a tendency to over project our voice, sometimes too loud. It's just as bad as not loud enough. I've used that. Obviously, I don't teach and, and understand the, the subject matter as, as, as well as you do. When I, would, when I would talk in a defensive tactics course or any other course, we're talking communication, and I'll say, it's not, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Well, right? think about it. You asked me a question earlier that said, what's non-escalation? Every country in the world teaches de-escalation. But what if we spent more time on non-escalation strategies? We'd probably spend less time on de-escalation. Because when you talk about de-escalation, they're already in crisis. Just because we have a verbal disagreement with someone, that's conflict. But when we go into verbal disagreement and you're yelling, you're pacing, you're doing other things physically that's showing levels of, of stress and crisis, I have to manage that contact differently. So when I go up and I do a traffic stop, there's a lot of intense situations. So when you say, why the F did you stop me? And I go right to driver's license registration, please. That's, you're gonna have to de-escalate that very quickly. What about some non-escalation? Excuse me, sir, my name is Dave Young with the so-and-so police department. The reason why I stopped your car is I noticed you didn't stop at the stop sign back there. First of all, I need to ask you, are you okay? You're asking me if I'm okay and you're stopping me? That throws a whole wrench in there. They, and there are probably some officers say, well, why are you asking if they're okay? They could have had a diabetic seizure. They could have lost control visually. They could have spilled coffee on themselves. They, they could have heard some terrible news. There's a lot of reason why the behavior was happening. We can't naturally assume that it's criminal intent, even though it may. So if we go in for cooperation, we have a place to go called compliance. But if every contact we make, we start out with compliance, we got no good place to go after that. So non-escalation are all the skills we can do at that initial impact to avoid going into using de-escalation. So we spend just as much time, if not a little bit more, on non-escalation strategies before we start teaching our de-escalation strategies. And you can't treat a person in crisis the same way you do teach them when they're in conflict. The, the results are different. The behavior patterns are different. What's expected of them is different. How they process things are different. Yeah, brother. Listen, there's so much gold here, and I appreciate you taking the time and sitting down with me. I've this is my favorite thing about this entire conference is having conversations with people like yourself. It's like I get a cheat, right? I don't have to jump around session to session. I can actually right. just, I'm like, I'll just bring the instructor here to chat with me. So I want to thank you very much for joining me on this. And thank you for being here and sharing your knowledge with, with the entire uh, organization. Man. Well, thanks for having me. You know, if every trainer viewed that when they get to speak, it's a privilege, that makes us be more accountable for what we do say. Because there's a lot of passion in here. And when you get all this passion in one place, it's a great place to be around. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being here, brother. I look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you, Adam. Join the ILET Network now. Go to ILET.network. That's I-L-E-T dot network. 
produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.